As you all know very well, there are a lot of people in the religious world who want to argue against the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins. We talk about this a lot. We talk about the plain, clear truths of the Scripture regarding baptism, but there are still those who say they just can't buy into that. They won't accept that baptism is necessary. One of the arguments that is offered is that baptism doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense to require baptism. Let me read you a quote what one author said. He said, The necessity of baptism seems so arbitrary. The need to confess faith in Jesus as the Son of God makes good sense. It is also logical to repent of one's sins. But what good is baptism? What meaning does it have? Why should getting physically wet make one clean spiritually? Now, you, you may not have heard those exact words, but my guess is that you've probably talked to someone who basically makes that same argument. I just don't see it. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. It, it doesn't seem logical to me that, that in order to save your soul, you have to get your body physically wet. I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And so we want to address that topic in a, a brief lesson tonight. And we're simply going to call it Making Sense of Baptism. Because we think it does make sense, really. And we want to talk about that and try to explain it from the Word of God. We stop here for just a minute to say thanks for being here on this Lord's Day evening. The rain has, looks like kind of broken up and the sun has come back out. And it's good to be able to spend just a short time together this evening worshiping God and praising Him, studying from His Word. We thank you for being here. We have visitors tonight. We're always grateful for our visitors. And we want you to know that and we want you to come back whenever you can. Thanks for being here tonight. The first observation I would make, and, re, and now remember, everything we're going to say tonight is, is addressing this notion, it doesn't make sense to me. Baptism doesn't make sense to me. So I think the very first answer to that is that whether we can make sense of it or not, God demands obedience. And so if I never could logically connect with the, why baptism is necessary, if, if it never, if it never logically registered with me the fact of the matter is it's still plainly taught in the scriptures and whether i can make sense of it or not god demands my obedience look at some old testament examples of how that maybe things didn't necessarily make sense but they still had to be done moses had to strike the rock to get water let me take you to, i'm just going to look at about three of these old testament examples and you know them all very well in exodus chapter 17 Beginning verse 1, all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched at Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Now this is just shortly after they had left Egypt. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why, do ye sh why chide you with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now think about that for a minute. We're needing water. We've got a huge troop of people here that are traveling, 
And if you stop to think about it, it would have required a significant amount of just water on a daily basis to, to sustain that many people and all their animals. And so God told Moses, you go and take your rod with you and, and you strike the rock and it'll produce water. Well, I want you to think, put yourself in Moses' uh, shoes. That doesn't seem like how you get water. Strike a rock with a rod. That doesn't seem logical. It seemed like it'd make a lot more sense to dig a well. Wouldn't digging a well be a more logical thing to do? Well, we're not talking about what might seem logical. We're talking about doing what God says. And of course, when they did, when Moses did what God said, it produced, the, the rock produced water. Uh, again, might not have made sense, but God expected him to obey that instruction. And when he did, it was effective. I think a really classic case is the children of Israel when they entered into the promised land and they came upon the well-fortified... So the first city they came upon was that well-fortified city of Jericho. And again, you know this story well. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 2 beginning, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor... And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horn. On the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him." I'll tell you something. I know a little bit about making war. That's not how you do it. I know a little bit about how you conquer a walled city. You don't do it that way. That doesn't even make sense. What you got to do is you got to besiege the city and you got to build siege uh, ramps. And uh, I mean, listen, as a military thinking person, that does not make sense. You don't conquer a walled city by just marching around it and shouting. Blowing trumpets. That is, there's no logic to that whatsoever. To a military strategist, I say that doesn't make sense. Well, it's what God said to do, right? He expected their obedience whether they understood the sensibilities of it or not. And, of course, when they did what he said, the effect was as he promised. And the walls of the city fell down. So, again, here's another classic example of something that men... In their own minds, my said, I don't get that. I really don't get that. I don't know why we should do that. I've never seen that before. But when they did what God said, which he expected, which he required, this, the walls of the city fell down. And then one more example. And this also is a classic. I think all three of these are really classic examples from the Old Testament. You know the story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, of course, was a... Uh, an army commander in Syria, uh, but he was a leper. And so he, uh, his little servant girl who had been captured in Israel said, if you went to the prophet of God, he, he could heal you of the, of the leprosy. And so he went. And you know how the story goes. He, he had expected to get a message from the king. The king and sent send him to Elisha. Elisha didn't even come out to speak to him personally, just sent instructions to him. Look in 2 Kings, and, and let's just read beginning in verse 10. 2 Kings 5, verse 10. 
Elisha sent a messenger with unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Again, I think that's a classic example. Uh, you know, you talk about someone who says, that doesn't make sense to me. Naaman definitely would have been in that category. He got mad. He actually got in a rage when he was told, go. And again, Elisha didn't even come out to speak to him personally. He sent his message, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And, and that just doesn't make sense. That's not how you cure leprosy, Elijah. And, and if it's just a matter of Washington, we got better rivers back in Syria than this muddy Jordan River. I, I, I just don't get it, and it doesn't make sense to me. And only when his servants came to him and convinced him by saying, you know, if he'd told you to do some big thing, some great thing, you would have gladly done it. He's asking you to do something pretty simple here. Go and dip in the Jordan River. And whether it makes sense or not, that's what you need to do. And, of course, when he did it, the leprosy was healed. And so there's just three very well-known examples from the Old Testament where people could have argued what, what people are arguing against baptism today. Because in every one of those instances, the people could have said, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. But it's still what they had to do. And so we, we get the point. Whether we make sense of it or not, God demands obedience well we know that to be saved this the so-called steps in the plan of salvation are really straightforward and easily understandable uh, of course you have to have faith hebrews 11 verse 3 says without faith it's impossible to please god for he that cometh to god must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him nobody has a problem with faith and then, of course, you need to repent of your sins. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Typically, no argument about repentance and the necessity of repentance. You've got to turn from your sins, turn to God, turn away from sins, turn to God. And you need to confess. Romans 10, verse 10 says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I've not run into anybody who wants to argue hard against the necessity of confession. But, of course, the big hang-up is be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, verse 16. And so it's, it's, it's interesting that all of those things are stated in the same way as prerequisite requirements or conditions to receive the gift of salvation. But the big argument is baptism, it doesn't make sense. Well... We would just say God, God's commands, whether they make sense to us or not, must be obeyed. Would you agree with that? I mean, we, we, don't, we don't have to really dive any deeper into the story than that. When God tells us something that needs to be done, if He commands us to do it, if He commanded us to stand on our head in a corner of a room for three hours every day, that would be what we have to do, whether it made any sense or not. God's commands must be obeyed. Baptism is one of them. 
And I think it's important for us to stress, because I, I, I believe that people probably don't understand us on this, we are not saying that baptism is any more important than anything else there. You've got to believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Baptism in that process is no more or less important than anything else that's required of us to meet the terms of condition that God has made on our salvation. We, we are not, you know, somehow more committed to baptism than anything else. That's just not true, but it's plainly taught and we need to obey. All right. So our first observation is a very straightforward one. If it's commanded, do it. You know, it doesn't have to make sense to you. Why do you think it has to make sense to you? It does not have to make sense to you. Uh, if you, if it never did, you should still obey the commands of God. But actually, and I think this is important for us to stress, immersion in water is not as illogical as some people claim. Now, why water? Why dip in water? You think that the water has some special power? Is it, is it holy water? Is there something special about the water here in this baptistry that wouldn't be true someplace? No. We believe that it's not special water. And we don't even believe that there's any power in the water. We don't think that has anything to do with it. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter in verse 20 references Noah. He speaks of those who were sometimes disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now, it's interesting that he points out Noah because Noah would also be one of those characters who could have said, make an ark? Are you kidding me? I've never seen anything like that before. And there's, and you, you say it's a big flood, a flood, a flood of that magnitude? I, did, I, I can't even imagine it. Doesn't make sense. He was given that assignment and he had to fulfill it. He had to obey. He had to do what God commanded him, even though it probably, as we put the pieces of that puzzle together, it probably took him about 120 years to get the job done. He had to do it. Nobody would say otherwise. But that same kind of obedient faith is the kind of faith we need in regards to baptism because Peter goes on. He says the like figure. Noah is a, just a, a symbol of what should actually take place in us. Noah is an example of the reality that we should engage. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I actually think that verse 22 there fits all the pieces of the puzzle together. It's uh, it, baptism saves us. I mean, you can't get past that phrase. Baptism doth also now save us. If we didn't say anything else, how do you get around that? But notice it's not the putting away the filth of the flesh. It's not the idea of washing dirt off our physical bodies. But it is the answer of a good conscience toward God. So, uh, when I engage in the act of baptism from a good or pure conscience, in other words, I'm trying to be right with God. When my motive is to be right with God and I engage in baptism, baptism saves me. It's not just getting wet. That's exactly what he says. It's not putting away the filth of the flesh. It's not just getting wet. You've got to engage that with the right motive or intention of heart. It's the answer, it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. If you don't have your heart right, if you're not engaging in that act with a proper disposition and, and for the right reasons, you could get baptized a thousand times. Dipping in the water a thousand times wouldn't save you if you didn't have a right conscience toward God. I think I've told you before, back when I was a kid, 
my uncle, on my uncle's farm, there was a pretty nice little stream that ran through the back of that. And we'd go out there in the summertime and we'd, we'd go play in the creek. And my cousins and I would baptize one another. Uh, I, I think, I don't know how many times I got baptized. I got baptized a lot of times in Uncle Glenn's creek. It didn't ever save me. It never saved me. Not the first time. Because we were just playing. And our attitude of heart was not that we wanted to be right with God. We were just kids. We'd seen people baptized at church and we were playing church. We were playing. There wasn't any seriousness about it. It was not the answer of a good conscience toward God. But when we engage in that act of baptism with that intention to be right with God out of a pure heart and right motives baptism does also now save us it's not the putting away the filth of flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God and then I think Peter even adds one more note it is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ the only reason why that works the power in the process is by virtue of Jesus's death burial and resurrection if Jesus wasn't our resurrected savior again it wouldn't matter if you were baptized or not, or how many times you're baptized. It's only powerful because Jesus died on the cross to make salvation possible for us. And so, again, it's not as illogical as some say. And that water, that was never intended. It was never intended that there was special power in the water to do anything for us. But it is when we engage that act with the right heart. And then finally... Let us point out, and here's where the real sense of it comes, if you're open to it. The real sense of baptism is that it's almost a perfect analogy to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to go back with me one more time to Romans 6, where Trent read for us earlier. In Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So what happened to Jesus? Jesus died... And he was buried. And he came forth. He, he was resurrected, living again. So what's our how does this compare to us? Well, we're dead in sin. We're dead and, and we die. But we actually, in, in our repentance, we die to sin. When we repent, we decide that's not what we want anymore. So dead in sin but willing to turn, we engage that act of baptism. We're buried. It is a burial. We go under the water and we are brought up in newness of life, a death to sin, a burial, and a resurrection, a new life. It's, it's a perfect picture. When someone says, why be baptized? I think our response probably should be, why not? Uh, because what other act would so fittingly represent the, the complete ending of a life of sin, and, and then the beginning of a new life living for the Lord. It's, it's, it, the picture is perfect, right? I think I've probably told some of you before uh, a story that uh, uh, Aud McKee told about his time preaching in Nigeria back in the early 60s. Uh, they were, he was teaching in some tribal areas of Nigeria, and in those areas... Some religious false teachers had for centuries been teaching 
sprinkling for baptism. And so he needed to make a point about that. And, and he, he observed that every family in that area had a goat or goats. And so he thought he'd make a point, an illustration. And he said to them, what do you do when your goat dies? And he wanted them to say, we bury him. And then he wanted to point out what burial was. But instead, he said, what, what, what do you do when your goat dies? And they all shouted back in unison, we eat him. <laughs> well, that doesn't work. That's not the picture we want. So he said, what do you do when your brother dies? Oh, we bury him. And then he could go on to make his point. When you bury someone, it's not, you know, just scatter a little dust on them or sprinkle a handful of dirt on them. You cover them up. And he was, he was able to illustrate that perfect picture of a death and a burial and then a resurrection to newness of life. It's a perfect analogy. And if you will, it makes beautiful sense. So we got two simple points we want to make to the people who object to baptism and by, by making, and there's other, there's other objections to baptism, obviously, but in regards to this specific claim that's made, it doesn't make any sense. We offer two answers. One answer is doesn't have to, if it never made sense, it doesn't matter. You just do what God said to do, sensible or not. God expects our obedience. But when you, secondly, our second point is when you really look at it carefully, it does make sense. It's a beautiful picture of what actually is being done as we engage in that act of baptism, a death to sin, bury, you bury the dead man, and he raises to walk in newness of life. That's what we got to do. That's what God requires of us. That's what we must do. What's your situation tonight? Have you, have you engaged in that act of baptism from a pure heart, with a good conscience, with a, with a right intention? Have you engaged in this act of baptism, obeying God's requirement? We stress again, it's not any more important than anything else God tells us to do. You must hear, believe, repent, and confess, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that and you're ready to make that commitment tonight, we'd be anxious to assist in your obedience. We'd also be glad to study with you more. If, that's, if you have some questions and you need more answers, just say a word. We'd be glad to study with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen back from serving God faithfully, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.